Hello, Sophia here. Just a quick announcement before your regularly scheduled episode. Some of you may know Moviestruck has a Patreon, and some of you may even be supporting us there. If you are, thank you so, so much. But if you're not, now is a great time to join, because from now until the end of September, Moviestruck is running a patron drive. In addition to all the usual benefits like monthly bonus reviews selected by patrons, exclusive Discord channels, and my eternal love and gratitude, we've got some special, full bonus episodes of Moviestruck available as stretch goals. If we get to 50 patrons, we'll be releasing Cats 2019 with Brendan Connors, Conheads, this one's for you, and if we make it to 100 patrons at any tier, I will be legally obligated to watch and talk about Morbius with Austin Funk and Noir. Both of these episodes will be Patreon-exclusive for a short period, and then released uh, on an off week, so they're true bonus content. If you're interested, check out the links in the show notes below for more information, and thank you to everyone for listening. I have a blast making this program and seeing all of you guys chatting in the Discord and interacting with the episodes. It just makes me feel super lucky that uh, all of you are along for this ride with me, uh, but none of us, enough sentimentality and shameless self-promotion. Uh, let's get back to your usual movie nonsense. As they go through a tunnel, Twitchy says he's found a box of candles, which the wolf invites him to light up, asking what kind they are, as they're so bright. Uh, and of course, Twitchy responds with Dinamite, must be Italian. That's <laughs> so... the line. That's the line that's in my long term. And I, I have several friends who have not seen this movie, but when I've made them watch it, because of course I'm that kind of guy, being like, you have mm-hmm. to sit down and watch the classic 2006 Hoodwinked. Uh, when they get to that point, they're like, I know this. I've heard this before. I've heard Dinamite. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I'm joined today by Daz of Daz Reviews. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Continuing the trend of inviting uh, friends I made at VidCon onto this podcast. <laughs> Very nice. I have to ask you the question that I ask every guest at the top of the show. Um, why did we watch Hoodwinked? Why? <laughs> oh. Hoodwinked is my like guilty pleasure of a movie. Um, I can't remember exactly which year specifically it came out. It's like around 2005. 2005, yeah. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I watched it in cinemas with my mum. She fell asleep about 20 minutes in. Um, but for <laughs> me, it, it's not like, it doesn't, it's not breaking the mold. But mm-hmm. it was the first time I had seen a movie that does one scene multiple times because it's mm-hmm. different people's perspectives. And it just blew my child mind and so it's just a movie I can always come back to and be like, did you know this is this shows up here later? It's I don't know. It's something about it. It was like my first movie I could talk about to someone as an experience like two decades ago. Yeah, this was um, also a favorite movie of mine when I was a kid. Um, and for a lot of the same reasons, because it's one of, the, I think, the few kids movies that I remember, at least, where like when you rewatch it, you actually get something different mm-hmm. the second time yeah. around because you know the twist you know you know where it's going which is pretty unique amongst kids movies uh and i just have a lot of nostalgia for it even if some of the animation maybe <laughs> is a little oh, yeah. showed its age <laughs> mm-hmm. and its budget but we'll uh we'll cross that bridge when we get to it so we we opened this movie uh in classic kind of like old film grain style as voiceover and narration brings us to the storybook of Little Red Riding Hood, which is going to sort of serve as our non-diegetic structure 
uh, to this movie. And it, it, the narrator, of course, warns us not to judge a book by its cover because this is not your daddy's Red Riding Hood story. Um, <laughs> kind of in the same vein as your, your Shreks. And there was a couple other like fairy tale reimaginings of the early 2000s. This is going to fall straight into that category. We open this pop-up storybook fly into the pop-up forest uh, as it transitions into a quote-unquote real one again the early 2000s cgi is <laughs> <laughs> debatable yes debatable yeah it's a very nice way of putting it <laughs> uh and we land at granny's house in the woods as little red riding hood arrives and starts looking for her grandmother who if you're at all familiar with the little red riding hood story is nowhere to be found uh, instead, there is a suspicious call from her grandma's bed where someone or wolf in a grandma disguise is there. And we begin the classic, my, what big insert body part here you have as granny, quote unquote, gets more frustrated by Red's questions, eventually taking off the mask after a zinger about her bad breath and uh, revealing that it is in fact the big bad wolf who goes oh. after Red, claiming that he's on to her. <laughs> Red dodges, Granny eventually makes her appearance by jumping out of a closet all tied up, and to tie all of this chaos together, uh, a woodsman bursts through a window, brandishing an axe and screaming, and the title pops in amidst all the chaos, Hoodwinked. <laughs> wow, masterpiece. Yes. We've gotten the story we all know and love when it comes to Red Riding Hood, right? This is, we're setting it up, the audience's expectations have been met, and now we can begin the movie proper. <laughs> <laughs> We now return to the scene of the crime, this time much later in the evening, as it's become a full TV procedural. Uh, there's police tape everywhere. All of the um, all the cops are animals, except for the uh, woodsman, Granny, Red, and a uh, cadre of evil minions who we will meet later on. They're, every character in this movie is some form of animal. It's a fairy tale. What's she going to do? <laughs> there's also one guy in a, in a big furry suit. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Just, do we ever get an explanation for like what his deal is, or is he just sort of a background character? No, I don't think we do. I think he's just like, he, I, I don't know, because he mentions he has a boss, and I don't know if the boss is also an animal, or is it just humans wanting to be in the business in the forests? Sorry, yeah, he, skipping yeah. ahead, I just, yeah. What are we here for, if not to skip ahead to discuss it? Because he, he is, he's just like a guy in an animal yeah. costume. And he's just like um, a normal retail worker who's not excited to like be in his career path and he's just sort of the everyman in the middle yeah. of the woods huh he's he's a weird throwaway i wonder if he was like um because this is a pretty there's a, there's a pretty star-studded cast in this movie all things considered i yeah. wonder if he was like a big name that they they draw drew in for this or like a, a friend of the cast or something they're like well we got to give him a character mm -hmm. but we won't make him an animal that's too far mm -hmm. it's too much of an ask yes. i'd be too on the nose for this movie <laughs> <laughs> Which is all about is, subversion, if you is will. Is his name Sandwich Man? Because I've just looked up the name <laughs> of the cast, and there's a guy called Sandwich Man. I think so, because he's, he's working the savory snack stall. Okay. Voiced so. by Todd Edwards. <laughs> I am awful at remembering actors' names and faces and what they did in the past. Oh, that they have a Wikipedia of page of stuff. <laughs> oh. A singer. Todd Edwards was one of the directors, it looks like, on the movie. So this may have, and ah. one of the writers. So it looks like this may have been a <laughs> authorial cameo, so to speak. I see. A bit of a self insert into mm -hmm. the wonderful world mm -hmm. of Hoodwinked. Okay. 
that makes sense about why they might make him like a human man then it's mm. just like hey here's this guy on the on, on cast already i mean on it a- could actually be shaped as him his face from what i'm seeing on google as much as there's not much of a visual aid to it i feel like it could <laughs> literally just be him that huh. they animated in well, already we've Who learned knows? so much about the movie. <laughs> yeah, I thought I knew all the references and the Easter eggs. I thought I would be the the brainiac on this know, film. You yeah, learn I something new think, every time. You think you know your? If you think you know the, the classic fairy tales, Hoodwink is tell you here to tell you. No, you don't. <laughs> always a twist in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the, this crime scene's unraveling. All the detectives arrive. Uh, the movie is turned into a full procedural. It's even got like shaky handheld camera imitations going on, which I, I kind of love. Because uh, as, as janky as some of the animation in this movie is, they, they're clearly trying something. Uh, and I have to give them credit for that. The chief grizzly enters. He is a grizzly bear complaining about um, having to end hibernation early. <laughs> Haha. Uh, <laughs> And he's, he thinks this is like your classic domestic disturbance, breaking and entering. You know, the wolf went on to attack the granny and the girl and the woodsman bust in. We learn that the house in question belongs to Granny Puckett, who is a cookbook magnet. She's very prominent in the world of sweets and goodies here in Hoodwinked. And that this bacon could be tied to the recent string of robberies done by one goody bandit. More on that later. <laughs> Inside, all the cops are breaking down the key players. Uh, the second in command of the chief is this like, crane uh guy who has a lot of fun zingers coming in later uh we've got the woodsman who was the one who jumped in swinging the axe uh the wolf who was trying to eat little red little red and granny etc uh the chief tells him to you know keep an eye on that wolf everyone's real suspicious of him and asks little red if she should be in school to which she replies she thinks she should have a lawyer uh which is a joke <laughs> that would fly over the head of any child but was so funny to me as a 20 something <laughs> It went over mine as a as a mm-hmm. kid, so I didn't ma- make a note on a lawyer. Yeah, there's I'm a cu- there's like a, a fair amount of jokes in this movie that are clearly for the parents in the audience. And if mm. I remember correctly, I think my dad enjoyed this movie more than <laughs> the average <laughs> uh, kids' movie choice. Whenever we'd go hit Blockbuster, so hopefully got a few more of those noted down. Before the chief can dwell on that little zinger too much uh the three little pigs have to be stopped from eating out of the basket little red was carrying when she entered the uh residence because after all the three little pigs are cops in the situation uh and the chief thinks that he's got like a pretty open and shut view of this case little red was covertly delivering to the goody tycoon granny uh perhaps maybe tied into the goody bandit and then the wolf tried to eat both of them and the woodsman was just swinging his axe vigilante style he's a he's a good samaritan passing by in the situation um, he tells his officer to take him downtown, but as it's the woods, they don't have a downtown. And before they can book him proper, a very suave frog makes his entrance. <laughs> With a real-life pet dog that yes. doesn't speak. That raises so many questions about the lore of this world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, everyone except for these, you know, so far three characters, animals. All of them are animals. They're acting like humans. They seem to just be the residents of this world. And now we have this frog who has a pet, who seems to just also be an animal. Walks on all fours, has a whole leash mm-hmm. and everything. It, yeah. We'll learn later that this dog is capable of uh, taking notes, so maybe there's more to him than meets the eye, and they've just got their own thing going, but as far as I could tell, it's <laughs> just a dog. Right. Good to know. Uh, all the cops seem to know this frog, Nicky Flippers, uh, and they ask if he's here on a case. Um, the chief seems unhappy to see him as he thought he had this whole situation wrapped up. 
Uh, but Little Red's like, no, you've got us all wrong uh, in her sweet Anne Hathaway voice because uh, Little Red in this situation is voiced by Anne Hathaway. One of the many <laughs> pretty A-list names that they got for this movie. Uh, mm. Granny's Glenn Close. Jim Belushi's The Woodman. Um, Patrick Warburton is The Wolf, which I, I think he does really... He's probably one of the standout performances in this movie if only because he's out here Patrick Warburtoning it up. Mm-hmm. I think it's just this film is more, it's just somehow was just early, I guess, on a lot of these people's <laughs> careers. Yeah. Actually, with Anne Hathaway specifically, I think this was the last film she did where she had to be the, like, protagonist little girl. Because oh. that was like a, that was a, um, a typecasting she was given in mm-hmm. her early years and then used, I don't know if she used this movie for it, but it was her last time where she was like, I don't want to be innocent, cute, little patronized girl. I want a career. And so that went Good off for her. after 2006. <laughs> wow. Fun facts. Good for Anne Hathaway. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's gone on to do so many roles since. So obviously it was a, a choice that worked for her. Absolutely. Um, she got out of the woods. She did. She got much like the theme. That's wow. So thematically appropriate to this movie. Little Red got out. Of, <laughs> little Anne got out of the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On Red's plead, this sort of attracts Nicky Flipper's interest. I love his name. Nicky Flipper just rolls off the tongue. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this attracts the frog's interest, and he asks, uh, you know, little Red, hey, why do they call you Red? And she asks, you know, why do they call him Flippers? And he flashes back momentarily to his disco days, <laughs> which is just like a little fun bit. A little, probably it's a little something for the parents as well, take them back to their decade, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she explains that they call her red because of this red hood she wears. Um, And he asks, you know, what if you're not wearing it? And she explains that she is usually wearing it. The hood, very thematically inappropriate here. Um, The chief is really eager to make an arrest, but Nikki wants to interview the four suspects because having four suspects means that they have four stories. And if they listen to all the versions of the events, they'll understand what the real story is here. Um, We're getting our plot structure for the film in this moment as well. We're going to, here are the four versions of the story from the four individuals involved before we finally figure out what happened. Or as I uh, called it as a kid, uh, narrative time traveling <laughs> before taking on any kind of film degree or research. That's just how I named it as a kid. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's accurate. We do. It's, it's pretty much just a time loop from different perspectives, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, much smarter way of referring it to the, than I did as a kid where I was just like, oh, the hoodwinked. <laughs> It's just what the movie was. So clearly yeah. this must be what the structure is called. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is, a, I always loved back to the future. It was my favorite hoodwinked movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a, there's a big moment for hoodwinked movies in the late two thousands. You know, you got your loopers. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of another time travel movie besides looper. I, Interstellar kind of, that's a big hoodwinked. Yeah, sure. Uh, Real life has a little bit of in- hoodwinked in it. If you count yeah. gravity forces. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Little Red is going to be the first of our, our cadre to tell their story as she is ready to reveal what really happened. She doesn't have anything to hide. This is where we see the little dog start his stenography, which was very cute, but upon any sort of further thought process becomes deeply disturbing. Red explains that this day started for her like any other as we uh, return to the, the uh, storybook. It opens again. We flip the pages back to the beginning and she begins her, her delivery route uh, as she runs goodies for her grandma's goodie shop. This is the first song of the movie. 
uh, one of the only ones that a character sings diegetically until the villain song at the end. Um, and she's just kind of singing about how she lives in a classic YA life before the call to action, and she wants to go out and have adventures. Uh, all while she goes off her daily bike route. This is where we see the <laughs> director cameo of the movie. She very briefly rolls past a sad woodsman who you may recognize from the screaming and axe wielding earlier. Uh, and as she goes, a, a bunny hops in her basket. It's Boingo, uh, someone familiar to Red, who uh, normally would be off helping the Muffin Man, but someone stole his recipes last night, forcing him to close. Oh, no. Um He's still running the cable cars, though, so he's not completely without a job. And she gives him a treat, and he hops off uh, to do bunny things. There's sort of a montage as the music gets sad of business signs and clothes signs popping up. The goody bandit has really done a number on the woods. Uh, and Red narrates that she decided to give Granny a call as the goody bandit was so dangerous. Uh, and she was a little worried, and she knew her grandma would knew, know what to do. Uh, we get a little screen and screen call where Granny declares that, you know, she, I don't know what to do. I'm just an old lady. Uh, <laughs> EastEnders is on. I gotta go. Yep. Or something like uh, that. So despite the fact that Red is worried about her grandma's recipes getting stolen, the, the elderly woman seems unconcerned and doesn't want her to take the trip up the mountain because it's too dangerous for a little girl, insisting that Red hold on to the recipes where she is. Red then goes on to sadly read a travel magazine, accidentally causing a car accident as it blows off into someone's uh, windshield, presumably. You just get, like, sound effects of that. Uh, and she sort of waxes poetic about how she wants to travel uh, anywhere in the world outside of these woods uh, when a shatter draws her attention. It's the goodie shop. Someone threw a rock through the window with the t scrawled words, you're next on it. That's the goody bandit. And now Red knows she has to take action against the bandit if she wants to keep her grandma's recipes safe. She grabs the recipe book, puts uh, decoy goodies in her basket on top of it, and sets off up the mountain. Red seems rather pleased with herself. We occasionally will cross-cut back into the interview room. Like, yeah, I did decide to go up the mountain alone. I am very cool. <laughs> She starts out via cable car with Boingo as he talks about the beasts in the woods like bears and things, but mostly wolves because this is, you know, Red Riding Hood's story, the wolf in the woods. So far, we're all covering our expectations. He asks if, asks if she usually delivers up this far and she's like, no, but you know, before the goody bandits got me worried and before we can get too deep into this particular conversation, the doors to the cable car fly open and Red and her basket of goodies slash recipes fall out into the forest below, uh, despite what seems like an attempt from Boingo to catch her. Um, but don't worry, she's fine. This is a cartoon. She hits some tree branches that slow her down on her way down. As she picks up her basket from the ground, <laughs> she notices a scary footprint hidden underneath and eyes in the bushes. Fight or flight is broken for a moment by a squirrel that falls from the sky and opens its mouth and camera flash goes out before it scooters off into the woods. Well, more on that later. Uh, <laughs> and the wolf emerges from the bushes saying something smells good and asking if she's got goodies in that basket. Uh, but Red is immediately suspicious and says that she's not supposed to talk to strangers. The wolf Summit continues... Yeah. If I may, if I may interject here, of something course. that's really cool with a lot of these scenes as well, um, without spoiling too much that happens <laughs> later on in the plot, it's very important to keep that sacred, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> we will probably see this scene twice since there mm -hmm. are two main characters in it, uh, and it's really cool upon rewatching or paying a lot of attention the first time how different the same scene will play with different yeah. perspectives. 
the the oh, I should know the word of this the unreliable narrator that was mm-hmm. it blew my kid's mind and apparently also blows the mind of 25 year old me because I can't <laughs> stop rambling about it sometimes yeah they do a really great job of balancing the different um takes and perspectives that the characters have in this movie I, I think you hit the nail on the head there like this scene right now is playing very uh I would say how you would expect a little red riding hood in meeting the wolf scene to play you know she's She's frightened, it's tense, it's a little spooky, a little ominous, but when we see it later on, the tone is going to be completely different because of which character's perspective we're seeing it through. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they made a smart choice of putting Red's version first because her version of events is, of course, closest to the Little Red Riding Hood story that the audience will be familiar with, so we're only Mm. going to break it down further as we go. Um, But right now we're playing it pretty straight, and I think that only works to their benefit uh, in the structure of this movie. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but the wolf continues to ask her questions about goodies and her delivery route. And as he asks his many questions, Red gets suspicious until eventually he lets out a frightening roar and she sets off running. Um, their pursuit is ongoing. Red eventually manages to lose him by having some hummingbird- hummingbirds fill out her cloak and trick him into chasing it into a river. And as he floats away, he swears that he'll get her and her little granny too, which is never a great thing to yell at a child. <laughs> Red continues on to her granny's, uh, following an old trail up the side of a mountain, where she encounters uh, Japheth the goat, who is a yodeling old goat who can't stop singing because, as he explains, he was cursed by a mountain witch to only be able to sing. Uh, He stops singing for a moment in this explanation, but when Red uh, calls him out on that, he immediately resumes his song. This is going to be sort of his recurring bit (laughs) for this scene. It genuinely did confuse me on whether there was a witch that cursed him or if it is just yeah. him messing about the whole time. I kind of like the idea that it's just him messing about the whole time. Um, <laughs> it gives him some like some depth of character because otherwise he really is just like this old kind of doddering mountain goat who sings a, a song that I think I, re- I was reading a little bit about um, the production of this movie. And they're like, yeah, we did some like uh, focus group testing and the kids really like the goat. So we kept him in, which sort of explains how much prominence he has in this version of events of the story. Cause he doesn't really mm-hmm. have too much to do with the actual like plot. Uh, I believe he also appears a good bit in the sequel. If yeah. I was going to, I know you've right. done a video on Hoodwinks too. Do you, uh, does the goat make a reappearance (laughs) so i i reviewed this movie like two years ago and i remember very few plot points but i do remember (laughs) the goat appearing outside of like a little sewage pipe at the end Mm. of the film and then getting run over by a car and then me thinking this is the fifth time he's been injured and now that's all i remember (laughs) of him and the sequel so i think he just became like a punching bag in the sequel Mm. for, for the funds should have give, should have given him more songs. That's that's the good stuff. Yeah, but, that's oh true. Well. More there's a lot of yodeling in this movie. Uh, there, it, it's it really is in many ways a love letter to that particular genre of music. Mm. <laughs> and this this guy's gonna play off that quite a bit. But Red takes the opportunity to call Granny again from this goat's house. Uh, and this time, Granny seems a bit more frantic. She, you know, she's talking about how she's not prepared. And uh, she has to hang up very suddenly, screeching out, Bunzai! before she rushes off to do, I don't know, grandma things? We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> Red is, of course, concerned by her pa- Granny's apparent distress and asks the goat if he has any ways to get around the mountain fast, uh, which prompts him to start singing about how living on the mountain 
means that he has to be prepared all the time. And he runs us through all the different styles of horns he has as Red uh, tries to look at the map he has of all these different railways to get directions to her grannies via these old tunnels. Um, she seems frustrated by his singing, but it seems that he may have also been paying attention to her this whole time as they drop through a trapdoor on the floor into a minecart and begin riding the rails across the mountain expediently as his song continues. Uh, eventually, though, an avalanche breaks over the side of the mountain uh, and they have to rush to outride it as the song becomes a bit more frantic, eventually uh, p forcing them into a cave where <laughs> the track ends very suddenly and they are launched with their cart into the heavens uh, and the music gets very ethereal and soft and from the clouds red <laughs> sees a vision of her granny floating down arms out reminding her to use the hood <laughs> you know what i have to assume is a star wars reference <laughs> as she continues to use her hood to glide to safety yeah, i never thought of that that makes sense i just it just assumed yeah. it was like kids use the force luke use the hood things. red <laughs> yeah Wow, I really should have picked that up 20 years later, and I didn't. <laughs> it's. I think it's easy to miss, because in the moment, there's a lot happening for this <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do remember the the particular scream that uh, Red does every time she flies off the the rails. I think you hear it twice in the movie, mm -hmm. but I've re-watched this movie so many times that like, I, I just know the exact <laughs> soundbite, and it's just in my long-term memory. Yeah, it's not a Wilhelm scream, but it, it sticks in there in a very similar way. Uh, mm. And I do like that. I, I have to assume they just had Anne Hathaway record it and then use the same sound effect every time yeah. it pops up. It's uh, an audio nerd. I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think that's such a funny gag to reuse mm. in the exact same audio <laughs> bit frequently. And it makes sense here why they do it. But I, I, just in any movie when it shows up, I... Ugh. Mm. Ah, I love it. Technical gags are really good sometimes. So good. Well. They hit. They hit so well. <laughs> mm. Especially if you're like a technical nerd, because then it's like, oh, this is a gag for me. Um. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I used to also really love as well when it was a uh, visual, like it was just the same yeah. shot or the same reaction, yes. always to the, oh. all these different props. It's oh, so it good. Really, mm. Something about it just tickles something <laughs> within me every time. It's so fun. It's just excellent. And if you were worried for, worried for the goat audience uh, as Red made her escape via hood glider, uh, don't worry, he is prepared. He had helicopter horns, totally fine. As he sang about, he was prepared. <laughs> Red glides her way down to Granny's and uh, we see the start of the movie play again. This time uh, in the interview format as Red explains that she didn't really, pay, really buy that the wolf was her grandmother. Um, and she explains like, I was you know attacked by him and then granny jumped out of the closet but she was already tied up she wasn't you know attacking or anything she was already tangled up and the axe man jumped through the window screaming like a maniac red explained she thought that the wolf was going to eat them all and the chief seems to agree but nikki wants to hear the wolf's point of view so we're going to get our second version of events coming at us pretty quickly the wolf gets brought in and, <laughs> and immediately Nikki is like, wait a minute, I recognize you from somewhere. Weren't you sniffing around a previous case? Uh, and the wolf's like, in his Patrick Warburton kind of nonchalant way, riffs with him a bit before Nikki uh, is like, oh, no, I know what I know, where I know you from. You're a reporter. Uh, so the big red wolf is a journalist in this version, which is just a great angle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so Complete funny. twist out of the norm. Mm -hmm. And uh, he claims he's got the real story. So he walks us back to this morning, uh, once again explaining that he's an investigative journalist uh, of the column Facts and Fairy Tales, and he's been undercover investigating the Goody Bandit. 
we see him sort of doing his little disguise routine because his big talent is that he's very good at disguises and impersonations. Um, he's pretending to be a health inspector at a local stall where the director cameo character is working, uh, and he seems to be getting nowhere with it. Um, he also has a sidekick, Twitchy the Squirrel. Twitchy talks incredibly quickly and is like his photographer. Twitchy is a character that I loved a lot as a kid, and now oh, yes. sometimes I'm like, I still kind of appreciate Twitchy on <laughs> this movie's levels, <laughs> but he walks a fine line at times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Twitchy is also, uh, it says here the cast, he was the writer for Hoodwinked. Oh. Up front and center. So he's secretly the mastermind of the whole film, as much <laughs> as he's also the goofy side character that talks way too fast. Yeah, and his vo the way they have him talk way too fast is not like an actor talking to the microphone as quickly as they can. It's them speeding it up artificially so the pitch goes up a lot. So he sounds like a high-pitched character talking really quickly, almost unintelligibly. Um, it, it, for the most part, it works. They will play with that later on. Uh, mm -hmm. As we watch the wolf kind of talk to his sidekick about his no getting nowhere in these investigations, Red goes by and her song sort of like pans in and out across the speakers as she passes by on her little delivery route. Uh, and he thinks to himself that she seems a little too happy. Uh, he records this as being a bit suspicious um, and informs Twitchy that he, no flash on your camera, we're going to be undercover covert. He also asks if Twitchy has ever considered decaf coffee, uh, but Twitchy reveals that he doesn't drink coffee, which is going to be a surprise tool that will help us later. <laughs> <laughs> The wolf goes to one of his chief informants, a sheep in his sheep disguise, uh, and to talk to Woolworth. Um, he has to keep bribing Woolworth to give him more information about Little Red, which was very funny. Uh, he asks for, you know, what's her whole deal? And the sheep explains that she's a sweet gal who delivers to Granny Puckett, who lives high up in the hills, um, and that, you know, he doesn't know too much else about it. But we learn, you know, more about Granny Puckett's reputation as a very talented uh baked goods saleswoman <laughs> mm -hmm. so upon re-watching this the latest time um something i particularly wanted to do was pay attention to like all the backgrounds and the extras because mm -hmm. the animation is very um early to say <laughs> yes it very nicely and i remember for this particular scene uh where it's just randomly a bunch of sheep in a field uh none of the background sheep animate at all except for the two that are talking. And it's you don't really notice because you don't see, mm -hmm. you only see like fluff and two legs really. But there is, it, it's just like cardboard cutouts basically, which is just like, you have to, I don't know, I've, I found it interesting because I was still very immersed in the story. Mm -hmm. It might be nostalgia goggles, but like I was immersed in it, even though I could tell after looking at it, there is nothing else going on on the screen <laughs> motion wise. Yeah, I mean, similarly, like, I think it might be nostalgia goggles, but as bad as some of this animation is, I, I feel like it's not as noticeable as bad animation can be nowadays. Part of it is just the time period it was made and the budget it was made on, but there's something about how earnestly and how um, particular they are about what they do animate that kind of covers some of those blind spots, uh, which is not a trend I remember carrying through to the sequel, but... Here, at least, mm -hmm. watching it. I, like, I didn't even notice the sheep weren't moving, so that's a good catch. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of the police scenes. Mm -hmm. um, some of, the, like, the more uh, unnamed police characters. There's, like, a... There's someone with a torch, like, turning side to side. And they've got, like, a completely, like, dead face. It's like a, an NPC <laughs> character just, like, turning side <laughs> to side. 
I like. I found it really endearing, though, in a weird way. Yeah, maybe that's the nostalgia for both of us. But it, there's something about <laughs> it that's very mm. nostalgic. I'm gonna use that word a lot in this podcast. <laughs> Uh, the wolf and Twitchy go to track the cable car that Red was taking up the mountain, using a device to listen in to the conversation, catching only the pieces of it that make it sound like Granny wants to shut down the forest. Uh, you know, out, out of business, Granny, goody bandit, keywords and phrases from a previous scene. Uh, so this is kind of one of the first instances of the events from a different perspective. Before they can take any action on what they're hearing, Red falls out of the cable car uh, and Twitchy and the wolf move in. A series of missteps resulting in the threatening aura that Red felt earlier, but now we're getting the scene from the wolf's perspective, so it's a bit more, um, not lighthearted, but uh, of an in- interrogation and procedure rather than like, ooh, spooky, ominous fairy tale. Um, mm-hmm. This would be also. The, uh, the, yeah. If Please. I may jump in here. <laughs> Uh, the sorry, I had to find a. I struggle <laughs> to find a heart. A right, I've like I've got I've got thoughts. I've got so many notes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Going going back a hint to the listening scene, mm-hmm. uh, where Wolf's got like a device to hear off in the distance, uh, as well as being able to hear sections of Red Riding Hood's conversation. He also briefly aims halfway down, and you hear the Schnitzel song which is a song you won't hear for another 40 minutes in the timeline. (laughs) Or actually, probably only be like 10 or 15. Um, But it actually cuts to a reference later on in the film, because that's what someone's doing later on. And then uh, the scene continues from there. I thought that was a really cool reference. I only just picked up last time, basically. Good catch. Yeah, Mm. you know, every time you rewatch this movie, I feel like you pick up on more that you may have missed the first time around, which Mm. just props to the... It's surprising that there's so much, like, much. It's surprising there's so much like longevity and mm-hmm. replayability out of something that's so low budget and like small scale. I don't know. I just it's really impressive. I think. Yeah, as you know, as the, the animation might not have held up, held up, but I think a lot of the writing in this movie really does. You know, even mm-hmm. if some of maybe some of the jokes are geared towards kids more, but I think it's a kids movie. You can't fault them for that. But yeah. the overall structure of the plot and like you've been pointing out, some of the clever inclusions of things that will be referenced later on is just a, a amount of planning and forethought that you don't always see in movies of this type. And it's mm-hmm. really impressive, even all these years later. Yeah, I really wish there were more movies that did this. I want to mm-hmm. see more. <laughs> narrative time traveling that connects yes. to itself i don't know i really i really enjoy that kind of content yeah and it makes for uh like i think we've mentioned a few times good rewatchability because you know the first time you watch it you get all the oh wow plot twists and the second time you get to actually see if you can put together what's been happening alongside the events that uh, you're being shown uh, and that makes a mm. more enjoyable second and in this case you know third fourth however many viewing experiences <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. An embarrassingly um, high number of times yes. yeah <laughs> yeah you know well everyone needs a movie that they liked a lot as a kid that they just watched an embarrassing amount of times and if you're gonna pick one hoodwinks is a pretty solid one <laughs> at least there is some I'll rewatchability to it yeah twitchy also is fixing his camera in the scene and in the process ends up um eating his flashbulb and that's why we get the shot of him falling and shooting a picture of red um th- throwaway bit not too much to worry about there. Uh, but uh, since he has to repair his camera afterwards, as the wolf is talking to Red, uh, he starts to wind up his camera because he's got like a film camera. Um, and it accidentally catches the wolf's tail, which is what causes him to roar in pain. And that's what makes Red run away in this scene. Um, he hails a cab to catch up with Red. Uh, <laughs> Just randomly and, strolls through in the middle of densely yep. forested areas. 
you know, a little, a little Looney Tunes logic, but it's okay. It was pretty fun. Um, and he, he outruns her a little bit, catching up. Uh, and this is where we learn that Red is a, you know, woods karate champion as she manages to fight off the wolf. We get a little shot of her with photo with her headline, like winning at the <laughs> local tournament or whatever. Um, but this it's doesn't also, face. Yeah. I was going to say, it's also at this moment, uh, we see this fight scene from Red's perspective, but it is mm-hmm. like a tenth of the length. It's literally like one kick and then she like runs away. Whereas from the wolf's perspective, it's like a full on <laughs> like takedown that they then right. refer to. So it's actually a longer, more brutal fight scene from the wolf's perspective, mm-hmm. I guess, because it's like abnormal to him and normal to Red and she just skips over it basically. Yeah, and he does get be- uh, made fun of a little bit for getting beat up by a little girl, but you know, it's when she's the woods karate champion can't be that mad at it um Mm. we also see the end of the chase where the wolf uh falls into the river having chased red's cloak uh and as he floats away curses her and her granny again um continuing that you know he'll catch them they can't keep terrorizing the woods he knows they're the goody bandit he floats past a fisherman who we'll see a few times uh (laughs) who i guess just sits on that bank all day long um because Mm -hmm. he will appear in that location until the very end of the day within this movie. <laughs> he hasn't got much going on, you know, he's yeah. in his retirement age. He's just going to chill. He's just, I guess he's another human that we see now that we're keeping tally. Mm, yeah. So they're there. Does he live the there? world building of Hoodwinked leaves so many questions to be answered. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's time to rewatch it again and get those answers. <laughs> uh, back on dry land, the wolf laments his luck and decides to get to Granny's before the kids do- kid does so that he can interrogate her. Uh, when Boingo hops his way back into the movie and asks if they're going to Granny's for a party, uh, the wolf is like, yeah, totally. Do you know how to get there? And Boingo says, oh, for sure. I even know a shortcut. And uh, it seems like the wolf's luck is turning up until we smash cut to the wolf and Twitchy trudging through a wet underground cave system. <laughs> and Twitchy will extol to us that we should never chest a bunny. Um, which is a line, and the read that the squirrel has on this line has lived in my head since I was like eight years old. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the way he says it, but it's the one line in his voice that I can I could conjure up from nothing. Um, right. I've got a line of that as well with Twitchy, but it's a little later. That's like just <laughs> in there. Uh, they get spooked by a mysterious creature from behind them and chased to the exit of the cave, a ladder leading up into the sunlight, and they find themselves exiting. Uh, into the tracks that all the mine carts are going by near a water tower. Uh, they manage to drop down into one of the passing mine carts and catch a ride, uh, apparently at the same time as Red and the goat, uh, right after the avalanche has kicked up. But they don't encounter the avalanche itself. It's just sort of a far-off threat that the wolf makes a comment of like, oh, maybe there's an avalanche. Um, as they go through a tunnel, Twitchy says he's found a box of candles, which the wolf invites him to light up, asking what kind they are. So they're so bright. Uh, and of course, Twitchy responds with Dinamite, must be Italian. That's <laughs> so... the line. That's the line that's in my long term. And I, I have several friends who have not seen this movie, but when I've made them watch it, because of course I'm that kind of guy, being like, you have mm-hmm. to sit down and watch the classic 2006 Hoodwinked. Uh, when they get to that point, they're like, I know this. I've heard this before. I've heard Dinamite. I don't know where they heard it from. I guess maybe it's like in the trailers and it's like up front 
broadcast yeah. everywhere I don't know about in the UK. Dinamite, I don't know. But must be Italian is the joke that they have in a Christmas story when he reads out the box that says fra- fragile. It says fragile. <laughs> ah. So I assume that's what hoodwinked is referencing. That makes sense. <laughs> that- I would not. I I just always assumed that was original. I was like, ah, oh, these writers they <laughs> oh, they got yeah. their good original jokes. No. When I was a kid, here. I watched this movie and I was like, oh, and then go watch a Christmas story. It's like, oh, hey, they made this. They're ripping off hoodwinked, not <laughs> the way around. But they start chucking the dynamite out behind them to get rid of the candles so that they don't go blown up, which explains how the track gets destroyed, because as soon as they land, of course, Red and the goat go flying off from behind them. We get her scream once again <laughs> mm-hmm. as the wolf and Twitchy continue on to Granny's. Um, the wolf knocks on the door with all sorts of fake reasons to be there, you know, candygram, tell message, etc. Uh, but he gets getting no response, just enters the home. It seems that Granny isn't there. Uh, but luckily, all of her granny-branded merchandise, including a granny costume, is. So the wolf gets into character, uh, and right before he and Twitchy can switch, uh, Red arrives. So he chucks the squirrel into the closet, which is directly onto a tied-up granny, and gets into bed to proceed to do the wolf pretending to be granny bit. The wolf doesn't know how granny got tied up. He's like, she was already tied up when I got there. Uh, and while the chief is suspicious of this... Uh, and needs evidence. Luckily, Twitchy has gotten his photos developed, and what his photos show proves that the wolf is telling the truth. Granny was already tied up when they got there. Uh, that means that his versions of, event- of events must also be truthful. So let's hear another perspective on what happened. It's woodsman time. <laughs> Woo. The woodsman ha- explains that he was in the forest to try and do well at his callback. Uh, and drops a line about Paul's bunion cream. The chief seems to think that this guy's a little bit loony, um, but the crane cop, that's sort of the second command, tells him to watch it because his mother was half loon. Which <laughs> <laughs> I just think is such a funny line. Mm-hmm. Nikki, of course, puts two and two together and realizes that, oh, the woodsman is an actor. His callback is referring to an audition. Uh, and we return to said audition in the morning of the day in question where the woodsman is not doing amazing. Uh, We learn his name is Kirk, and he says to the director who's casting that his dream is to travel the world with the happy yodelers, the world's happiest yodeling group. Uh, He yodels and throws his axe, which destroys some production equipment, and they send him out of the audition, having apparently not done well. And as he sadly walks to his day job, driving the schnitzel truck, uh, Red goes by with her song, singing once again, connecting all of these events to their starting point. Um... He seems to like his day job pretty well. Uh, They go into a little song about the schnitzel truck and how all the children love the schnitzel on a stick. Um, Do you know what schnitzel is? Because I don't. (laughs) I don't know. I've never had it. I I don't actually, now that I think about it, I don't know what it actually would be or how it tastes. I just know the concept of it mostly from this movie. Yeah, I always assumed it from this movie because this was my first exposure to it as a kid that it was like a, a... dessert of some kind uh but apparently mm. it's like meat so <laughs> i don't actually know oh, right what it qualifies Interesting. as yeah i don't know um, if anyone in the audience knows what schnitzel is and wants to like tweet at me mm-hmm. <laughs> please presumably <laughs> presumably it doesn't go up your nose no which is what one of the okay. children who i guess are also human so if we're doing our hoodwinked human oh, okay. tally now we've got quite a few quite a um, collection yeah does stick a piece of schnitzel up his nose as they all sing about how much they love schnitzel and the schnitzel man and the schnitzel truck. 
But as they, their song kind of reaches a peak, he returns to his truck and finds that it's been robbed. Oh no! All of the kids dissipate, and Boingo appears, telling him to keep his chin up, that maybe someday someone will open a great big goodie shop and we can all work for that little guy. Before we can dwell on that for too long, the Gecko director calls Kirk back and asks him to come in again the next day for a callback. It's Kirk's first callback ever, and he's very excited. Uh, the director also tells him, you know, hey, if you want to do better, you should go f- out into the woods with an axe and find your inner woodsman. So he does. Uh, he's not quite getting it at first. He's using the wrong parts of the axe to chop trees, etc. Uh, until he reads Chopping for Actors, <laughs> which is, looks like, a, like one of those blank for dummies books, uh, and learns how to chop trees correctly, immediately becoming quite the skilled woodsman, having found the little woodsman inside of him. Uh, he comes eventually to a, a mighty tree, quite large, uh, and he chops it dramatically as he reads the Paul's Bunyan cream line over and over again, um, working on that tree well into the evening, only to be roused from chopping, which he's made like a huge U-shaped indent into the tree that he's standing in, uh, by the scream of Little Red. He notices, he walks out of the tree to see it, and as he exits, the tree finally snaps and begins to roll down the hill towards Granny's house, which is conveniently at the bottom of this hill, um, he ends up, you know, on it as it rolls down the hill, all sorts of physical comedy going on, and the tree gets caught at the very bottom and launches him through the window, which explains why he bursts through the window, wielding an axe, screaming. Nikki, returning to the present, determines that this guy probably knows the least of anything of anyone in this room. <laughs> this is a wild plot line. Like, I did <laughs> yeah. not predict this. As, like, as a kid, I was like, umming and ahhing, like, who could have done this? How does this work? Mm-hmm. I would not have predicted this is what the the huntsman was doing this whole time. No. <laughs> Making right. him an actor was already a bold <laughs> choice, and then giving him this... Pr- he has probably the least um, going on in the backstory of his day, uh, so mm. his is more or less entirely for entertainment value. Uh, but I do kind of like how, how much they run with it, and then how much it will inform his actions in the kind of last act of the movie. Uh, mm. <laughs> but it is very clear, and I'm glad that they lampshade it by having Nikki say it. So he really doesn't have any idea about like the Goody Bandit plotline or Granny or Red or what's going on. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He does technically become like his own villain though, because he just he's so dumb he doesn't realize he's destroying homes yeah. and <laughs> crushing cars. It's kind of sad. He's causing but... all manner of chaos just for an audition. Mm. Um, but since he's Actors. the act actors. Ugh. um and he's also played by jim belushi which is just just fun (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like what a casting um but since he's uh clearly not involved and they've already talked to the other two suspects everything left points to granny being deeply involved in the events of the day and of course the goody bandit um she enters for her interview, claiming the only crime she's ever committed was making her goodies unlawfully delicious, a real sticker that's on the bag of cookies one of the cops <laughs> is eating. <laughs> um, and Red tries to stand up for her granny since, you know, she's like, we tell each other everything and there's nothing that she'd hide from me. Uh, but granny seems a little nervous because she is, of course, hiding something. She starts to say how she didn't want her family to find out. Uh, but before she can say what she didn't want them to find out, the cops open the closet to find it's full of trophies, and Granny starts to shuffle over, letting Nikki see the three G's tattooed onto the back of her neck. 
and Granny explains that she's not like other grannies. She's never liked bingo or, <laughs> or soap operas. She likes to live life to the extreme. And we go into a little montage of her doing extreme sports. She drops in from a helicopter to snowboard down a mountain, skydives, skateboards, free climbs, surfs, etc. And we return to the morning in question, having just learned that Granny is not the sweet old woman that she seems to be as she gets her call from Red. Uh, And this time we see from Granny's side of the phone call that while she's telling Red to keep all the recipes with her uh, and hangs up, she's in full ski gear preparing for a big competition. And that's why she didn't have time for Red to visit because she was on her way to the Extreme Dream Ski Competition. (laughs) Wow. Also, from Red's perspective of this phone call, you can see that the Granny has uh, the ski poles in her Mm -hmm. hand. But because of where they're positioned, you just assume they're knitting needles right. because they look the same at the top. Yeah, very clever use of placement there. Mm-hmm. Granny arrives at the competition, rolling up to join her teammates, and they point out a very obviously evil <laughs> European ski team. <laughs> like, <sighs> picture the goons in like a mission, like an opening scene of a Mission Impossible or like a Get Smart or any sort of spy thriller. That's these guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also suspiciously human in an all-animal tournament. Yes. I guess actually Granny's one as well. So I guess it's kind of open. But That's true. I guess we needed to indicate they were key characters. So they're all, they're all people. Mm. They, they point out this evil European ski team. Uh, and then Granny gives her team some snickerdoodles. Because even though she is into extreme sports, she is still Granny Pocket. Goody Magnet. Um, as she's walking around the, the site, Boingo catches her to get an autograph. Um, and Granny then lines up to begin the race. Uh, the leader of the Europeans, who sounds and looks like an early uh, young Arnold Schwarzenegger type, uh, <laughs> warns her mm-hmm. to be careful. Old ladies get hope hurt on these slopes, uh, but she just tells him to bring it, because Granny don't back down from no evil ski master. <laughs> the race begins. Uh, immediately, he breaks the like foot uh, latch on the back of one of Granny's skis, and she begins to flail about on only one ski. As the Europeans go to take out two of the remaining three Granny ski uh, team members, Granny struggles with her ski as Red calls again. So this is we get sort of the reason behind why Granny seemed so frantic in her earlier call. Uh, she's flailing down a mountain, as you and- do. <laughs> yep and in the and in the rush to save her polar bear teammate who's being ganged up on by some of the evil skiers uh she has to hang up on red rather quickly resulting in her scream of bonsai and the concern she caused her granddaughter granny then goes snowboard mode putting her foot down on the back of her single remaining ski attracting the attention of the evil skiing europeans who launch a snowball counterattack because this is a movie for kids and we can't have guns in it so instead we will have a snowball <laughs> fight <laughs> Which is fine. I think that that is a completely acceptable choice yeah, to make. I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah, just the um, fact that there is the evil European skiing team as a category, <laughs> I think, is good enough. You know. Yeah, yeah. We get we get the intent behind it, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> her and the lead guy go head to head as eventually he manages to get the upper hand and has her dangling off the edge of a cliff. She asks who he works for, and he reveals that they work for the the Goody Bandit before pushing her off the cliff and radioing in to his boss that Granny is finished, and now they can target the little hooded girl. But fear not, Granny is not finished. She grabbed a tree branch on her way down, hanging out from the side of the cliff, and hearing that Red is in trouble, she bungees her way back up to the top. 
uh, sees the lead the European skiers have on her and sets off the avalanche that previously threatened her granddaughter. Um, we see a little clip of Red and the goat running from the, the avalanche and then the wolf and Twitchy commenting on that they hear one in the distance to really put a nice little bow on the fact that this is an event tying everything together. Um, Granny manages to catch up to the, the other skiers, claim first place in the race in a landslide, literally, and then use a parachute to escape the avalanche right before it catches her, um, which also quick changes her from her sport mode ski outfit into her classic granny look, <laughs> which she, wearing she was wearing it underneath. under it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> this is where she'll glide through the clouds. We go to the same kind of like heavenly effect that Red saw earlier, and Granny using the clouds for cover, uh, glides down a bit spotting her granddaughter and instructs her to use the hood um so we get to really connect all these storylines and then continuing her glide granny lands into the uh fireplace of her house just as the wolf comes up to knock uh and goes through the chimney making it into her home successfully but her chute gets wrapped up by a ceiling fan and that explains how she gets tied up and stuck in the closet um she watches as the wolf begins to impersonate her until Twitchy is thrown into the closet into her hair. And she explains that she was able to use the squirrel to break down the door, which brings us to her bursting through the door into the house, the entry of the Axeman, and back to the present. We're going to get our first like big emotional moment of the movie as Red kind of stares sadly at her granny's trophies, clearly betrayed that her grandma has been so adventurous while she has been stuck here staying home making deliveries uh, as they have this sort of emotionally loaded conversation. All of the cops excuse themselves to go get coffee and escape the awkward situation uh, and Red, extremely uh, demoralized, drops her hood at her grandma's feet and walks out. No one stops her for interviews or anything because she is unrecognizable without her red hood, which is very funny. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and she kind of sadly walks away as another song plays. Um, the key lyric of which is red is blue, which is very on the nose. <laughs> and this is the Genius. song that I think worked for me the most of this movie. <laughs> Something about it is just very earnest in a, in a very humorous way. Mm. I don't think I ever needed to be, but I feel like if I was, like, ever, like, a sort of mopey kind of kid, I could see myself unironically turning on this song <laughs> and just being yeah. like, this is my emotional moment. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very young. Like, this is a sad song. The song is making me sad, and therefore I will be sad to it kind of, kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. um, also, the lighting is literally blue everywhere yes. from all the police lights. <laughs> it's very... Yes, we We've entered nighttime, there. so everything's kind of blue washed, and the police lights are blue. So, and there's some red flowers that close up to reveal blue leaves. It's very on the <laughs> nose. <laughs> uh, she flashes back during the song to her grandma and her baking, as her grandma explains that all the recipes they have come from this family cookbook and generations of pucket bakers who are all adventurous women in their own right. There's like a Amelia Earhart alike, and a woman who went to the North Pole to find a hot chocolate recipe, etc. Um, and they, as they sort of bond over this, Red opens a drawer and finds a medal from an iron cage gladiators match. Uh, and her grandmother very nervously assures her that there's two things that she doesn't do, lie and play extreme sports, both of which are by definition lies. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the house, uh, the chief is getting antsy, Nikki telling him that the key to solving the bandit mystery is somewhere in this room. Uh, and as they continue to argue off screen, Someone draped in a cloak, a red cloak, enters and takes Red's basket from a sleeping little pig who was currently guarding it. 
and slips out into the night. Now, all the suspects, save for Little Red, have gathered in the house, and Nikki begins breaking down the case. He starts by accusing each of them of the crime. Uh, first, the woodsman, who is out destroying forest property. Uh, then Granny, who is deceptive in many ways and has motive as a goody magnet to stifle the competition. Also and finally, the wolf. C4. She yeah. also had C4 to blow up and cause an avalanche, which should have been addressed more when I think about it. Yeah, that seems like a real... Like if the woodsman's in trouble for chopping down trees, I feel like the avalanche is probably... An avalanche that we know covered a heavily populated ski competition base camp. Mm, yeah. And like any onlookers at the, at the finish line would have been completely swamped. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they're choosing not to think about that too much and instead focus on the wolf, who is a wolf and gets stereotyped a little bit. Uh, and finally, they turn to Little Red, but she's MIA. And this is when the pig lets the chief know that the recipes are gone, as well as Red, who is tailing the hooded basket-carrying figure to a cable car. Um, in the house, Nikki then reveals that there is another person who has been in every single one of their stories, the only one who was with Red when she fell, who knew a shortcut to Granny's, who fraternizes with evil ski teams, and was there when the trek was schnitzeled. It's it's Boingo. Never trust a bunny, folks. <gasps> As a kid, this was legitimately the only moment I noticed. I, I was completely mm -hmm. fooled by the plot line <laughs> until uh, Nick says, hippity hopped his way into everyone's story. That was yeah. my, <gasps> that was it. Yeah, it's, fu it's fun because you can pick up on it the first time you watch. Uh, mm -hmm. As soon as he starts to explain it, it's real like, oh, I saw the mystery too, which is, I love a good like mystery show, you know? Um, so this was maybe the start of that for me as a kid, where it's like, I can solve these mysteries too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like uh, very, a little bit disappointed when I'd showed my adult friends this, these movies and they would very clearly know who the villain was immediately because no. <laughs> there's i mean of course because they're yeah. like way older but uh because there's there is this when when red falls out of the cable car from her story mm. and uh and boingo is reaching out to save her you can see he's actually reaching out for the basket and then mm -hmm. there's a camera shot of them falling looking up at boingo as his face goes all angry and evil and mm -hmm. shadowy yeah, and then when he's talking to Kirk outside the Snitchel truck, he's like, what if there was, like, one little guy we could all work It's like, if, when you're an adult, you definitely pick up on it. But I remember watching mm -hmm. this as a kid for the first time and being like, wow, I had no idea, but now it all makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. They put out an APB on Bo Boingo and hurry to stop the cable car that just left the station, they assume, heading down the mountain. So the cops and Nikki all exit stage left. Um... The wolf asks Twitchy if he got any shots of the bunny and goes to leave, but before he can exit, Granny's like, something isn't right, and the faint sounds of the schnitzel truck pull their <laughs> attention. <laughs> uh, they see uh, Kirk's truck being driven up the mountain by the evil skiers. Uh, he's very, very sad about what they've done to his schnitzel, schnitzel truck. Um, and Granny recalls an old cable car station at the top of the mountain, which must be where they're going and where Red and Boingo are. But the cops are all heading down the mountain the wrong way. How will they let them know that something is up? Uh, they decide to send Twitchy to tell the cops that they're going the wrong way. And in order to get him down the mountain fast enough, they give him coffee for the first time. And he does like a little like, whoa, 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 before zooming off at light speed. 
it's a trope that I, as a kid, just always always loved. Yeah. Because like it's the same with a uh, Hammy from Over the Hedge. Yeah. Having the sort of exact sort of situation. <laughs> I always loved the fastest characters and like mm-hmm. just complete. Even now, I guess like we we like as an adult, I still like like the Quicksilver scenes. Exactly. It's from like X Men. It's the same so. exact kind of scene, but just like the. Twitchy from Hoodwinked walked so that Quicksilver in the X-Men movies could run is basically what Absolutely, yes. The X-Men just ripped off Hoodwinked, really. Yeah, let's Hoodwinked be honest. did it first. Mm-hmm. In 2006, there are no comics before 2006 or anything like that. Having sent Twitchy off to warn the cops, the remaining three are like, well, it's up to us to save Little Red and stop Boingo. So they set up off the mountain. Uh, meanwhile, Boingo and his cable car make it to the abandoned cable car station, and he monologues about how he's never going to answer to anyone ever again. It does a little evil laugh that switches between an evil laugh and, like, a crying face and, like, evil laughter. <laughs> so he's a little unhinged. Red has also hitched a ride on the back of the cable car and wastes no time in confronting him. Uh, and she and Boingo face off, doing a little karate fight, until eventually he manages to land a strong kick and orders, uh, I think it's Wolf... Uh, is the name of the big bad Schwarzenegger looking henchman to tie her up uh, he takes a moment to berate his underling for being named Keith because it's not a scary enough name before he finally breaks into his villain song <laughs> I think Keith's pretty scary yeah I, I think Keith little... accomplishes his job alright you know he's got like uh, sport shades on and sort of like a half bowl cut half undercut thing going on <laughs> a little spooky one goes things about how he's top of the woods now and walks us through his evil plan, which is to steal all the recipes and then make his own goodies in, from those recipes with an added ingredient called boingonium, which is highly addictive. So he'll make a ton of money from selling all of these uh, goodies to the kids. And in order to make space for his factory, he's going to blow up the whole mountainside. Uh, so that's his e- evil scheme. That's why we've been here all along. Um, Drugs for kids. Drugs for kids them, and or, or just uh, lots and lots of sugar you know. and land development, I guess. <laughs> Running Perfect. back to a classic uh, children's movie villain of the evil land developer, um, here in rabbit form, he ties up Red and sticks her in a cable car full of dynamite to work to this end. As the other three arrive and observe the situation, as they plan, Granny complains about the evil ski guy, the big guy, who is, of course, standing right behind her as she continues to berate him for being real big and ugly. They begin to tussle. Meanwhile, the cops are stopped by a sudden squirrel appearance, and I like the way they do this a lot, because first they have Twitchy just sort of, like, run across the road in front of the car, and the chief swerves a bit, like, whoa, almost hit a squirrel. Uh, and then as he says that, Twitchy jumps directly into the windshield and like, <laughs> spreads out and blocks his view, forcing them to stop. And I just think that's very... F- I live in an area with a lot of squirrels, <laughs> so swerving oh, okay. to miss them is... Uh, I was, I was like, oh, we've all been there. Very funny play on that there for Hoodwinked. Twitchy tries to warn them about the danger at the top of the mountain, but he's talking so fast that they can't understand him. Uh, <laughs> we'll return to that in a little bit. Wolf gives the woodsman acting notes before they send him out, now dressed as the big uh, goon to kind of distract Boingo. He struggles with his lines to get them out, <laughs> but Boingo seems not to notice anything's amiss. And so the wolf also makes his appearance as, a, once again, a building inspector, an old faithful. Um, and he walks and talks with Boingo, trying to distract him as Granny begins to infiltrate by sneaking through uh, the top and jumping from lamp to lamp and doing all sorts of clandestine ninja-like sneaking. Um, Everyone's got their shtick. Yep. Everyone gets to be in action. 
And it looks like it's all working until Granny sweats and her bead of sweat hitting the floor <laughs> alerts Boingo to her presence. Uh, so she drops from the ceiling and the gang begins to fight the ski goons and the rabbit. Granny makes short work of the goons from a little assist from Kirk, but Boingo uh, lights the cable car and sends destroys the brakes, sending it and Red hurtling down the mountain. Granny grabs a muffin tin and uses it to surf on top of the cable to take give chase to the car. Uh, and the goons on snowboards, along with Boingo, head on after her, including a uh, wolf who is now in his, like, <laughs> undies and undershirt. Because, of course, Kirk is wearing his full ski uniform. That leaves Wolf and the Woodsman to take the truck down the mountainside <laughs> rather than give chase via cable. Nikki has an idea to understand Twitchy the Squirrel, and they record him on their tape recorder and play it back much slower. And in a very suave voice, he recounts... <laughs> The criminals you are looking for are located at the cable car at the top of the mountain where my compatriots are currently planning to detain them. And as a kid, I thought that was like the funniest scene. Yeah. Is that a, is that, has that been done before anywhere? Because I feel like that's quite a unique take on the fast character trope. Although yeah, I could I just be top of mind, enough. remember anywhere else where they do this specific gag. So, um... I'm sure it's cut, cropped up since, but as far as I know, this is the first place it's specifically used. Because um, mm, there are a lot of, because you, you know, the idea of so fast that like they could freeze time or they can, you know, it's too fast is like mm -hmm. very common. But I think this uh, this was us. I mean, I liked all of it as a kid. It was my first proper experience. <laughs> but uh, even older, I'm like, huh, slowing it down with a recorder. Very yeah, smart. Clever. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it works, because now the cops understand him, but unfortunately they can't get up the mountain in time. Um, luckily, the gang is coming to them. Red manages to worm her way out of her constraints and climb outside of the cable car as Granny catches up to her. Uh, Granny drops her hood down and helps, helps her climb up the car, and the two uh, get onto the muffin tin, and they manage to unhook the cable car from the cable, dropping it into the river below just as the dynamite explodes, raining fish on the nearby fishermen, but otherwise <laughs> causing no damage to the local fauna. They've thwarted that portion of the evil plan. It looks like the ski team is about to catch up with the two of them, but Granny and Red use their hoods to glide out of the way off of the cable, and the uh, ski team and Boingo slide directly into the waiting paddy wagon as the cops have d taken the cable and attached it to their car uh, and they are hauled off to prison, which Boingo is very scared about because after all, he's just a little guy. You can't do this to him. But it's too late for that, buddy. You're all, you've are you been uh, arrested. <laughs> hoodwinked? Hoodwinked. Uh, <laughs> yes! <laughs> you've been hoodwinked. Uh, roll credits. Um, granny is proud of Red, and Red's like, well, I take after my granny, so their relationship has been repaired in this moment. Um, Kirk and the wolf arrive with the recipe book and the schnitzel truck, and the gang all take press interviews, with Nikki being the one to put a nice little bow on all of this, uh, you know, saying we finally got to the root of the mystery, make cracks a little joke, works the crowd, it's all good things. We time jump a little bit at a later date, Red, Granny, the Wolf, and Twitchy are all sitting around the snack stand where our uh, costumed friend was working earlier, chatting. Kirk has apparently made it into the big leagues. He works with the yodelers now on tour. And the group has all gathered because they had a message from Flippers, who wants them to work for him. Uh, he works for the Happily Ever After agency, uh, who could use their talents to help make sure other fairy tales have happy endings. They all agree. 
and the movie comes to an end. We roll to the credits, and uh, we get to just watch the very stacked cast scroll by on screen. Mm-hmm. But that's Hoodwinks. And, that's yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it, there, there is no sequel, totally. They never, <laughs> they never join the agency. They never have mm-hmm. to play around with um, Hansel and Gretel. Um, there is actually, rem- remembering it now, um, there is another scene with boingo in the sequel because for some reason red needs like advice or help and goes to visit him in prison like silence of the lamb style (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that because he's also all strapped up and like muzzled basically and he's like really just like monotonely just talking and being like why would i help you yada 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 it was a very strange scene from what my memory can tell but that's that's a real thing that happens in the creators of hoodwink seem to really like making references to movies that their target audience would have absolutely no point of reference for yeah yeah no absolutely no and uh i vaguely remember hoodwink too i think i watched it right around when it came out uh and i definitely did not pick up on the silence of the lambs yeah, this whole final act as well, I really like because obviously it's everything coming together. It's mm-hmm. pretty nice, like ties it all together. Um, but hearing the description as you just done of it, it felt more and more like a D and D sort of campaign, yeah, where of. like where like Kirk has to come up and be like, right, roll for how good your acting is. You mm-hmm. know, ah, oh, Granny messed up because the bead of sweat fell off. It's like that kind of like those kind of twists and turns. Yeah, great acrobatics check, but she failed her stealth roll and. That's mm-hmm, that's absolutely. a really apt way to describe the ending of this movie. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, yeah, I I mean very bizarre. Yeah. To kind of bring in some like closing thoughts here, uh, what is there a situation? You mentioned you watched this with some of your friends. Is there a situation you might recommend our viewers watch this movie in? Is do you like this movie? Uh, kind of kind of bring that all to to bear for us. I would absolutely recommend people watch <laughs> this movie. However. Uh, in trying to watch it again recently, I couldn't actually find it online, at least anywhere. Yeah. Like, I, I got a VPN, uh, went through all the different countries for Netflix, and it, there was just nothing. And like, so you might have to buy it physically if you're yeah, into it. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you want to watch it on YouTube, it's uploaded in its full length there. Uh, but if you want an oh, official sweet. play to watch it, <laughs> I also ran into the same problem. I was like, oh my god, where is the where is hoodwinked i could have sworn i just saw this movie like on netflix or something but i guess it's mm. left the catalog um which is a you know owning a movie is a good way to ensure you always be able to watch it and i guess if you're going to own one hoodwinks is good <laughs> yeah sure you know it's a conversation yeah. starter watch it with friends and make mm-hmm. a drinking game out of it you can totally Ooh. do that i don't know what the rules are but you totally could maybe like every time like you hear red scream, you know, take a drink or every time mm-hmm. uh, we hear the avalanche, anything that occurs through all the versions of events is probably a good thing to jump into. That's a good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, this film was very much like a, a low budget, like first start, uh, sort of animation, uh, film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, I think it's very like charming and wholesome for how many flaws it has in the animation and the budget. Um, but it really sort of stands out on the writing front for yeah. what it was like. It was still really ambitious, but also very efficient because they could reuse assets by just going back on the same um, points. Mm-hmm. The biggest downside, however, I find with this movie that's like a giant red flag and a bit of a shame is this is the very first uh, animated movie that this company made, but it's the Weinstein company that mm. made it. Yes. And this was right during the height of... Uh, 
the Weinstein aspect of things and part of the reason Anne Hathaway wanted to evolve out of the little girl typecast was because this was at the height of that and mm. Weinstein is kind of like John Lasseter's attached to Pixar the good old classic Pixar Weinstein's very much attached to this which is a bit of a uh, great but yeah. other than that for what it is as a tiny small first starter or a project it's like blows my mind even one and a half decades later yeah, I was really worried because when we picked this movie, I was like, oh my god, I used to love Hoodwink. This was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I haven't watched it in a really long time. I was a little worried it wasn't going to quite hold up. And while, like you mentioned, the animation definitely doesn't, the writing is just so sharp and the way that they've structured their story is so clever that it's still, I think, worth watching um, should you be able to find it uh, legally or otherwise <laughs> on <laughs> online. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I definitely get together with friends because it's, it's a fun group watch. Um, yeah, yeah. But if you, uh, unless you have any other closing thoughts on the movie, I think that that's. <laughs> I only have other tiny details that I didn't get to say earlier because I didn't read them. Uh, <laughs> like, can I tell you? Yeah, I, of course. My, my little thing. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> Please. So, uh, the lizard director. Ooh. Remember him in the yes. in the in the woodsman scene. He phone calls uh, the woodsman at some point, and as a fun little animation gag he grabs his own border phone circle like that shows him in the shot and then shuts himself out of the scene basically <laughs> to like hang up the call i thought that was very fun very clever uh when the granny is rock climbing i think in like her introduction to extreme sports mm-hmm. she drinks a can of forest dew <laughs> instead of mountain dew ironically while dangling off of a mountain but there you are um and then a tiny, tiny one that's very obvious because they literally pointed out uh, when Boingo gets Granny to sign a little clipboard, you can see under her fingers the letters EV in <laughs> big font to be evil plan later on. Ooh. You can yeah. see how I get very annoying to my friends when I'm like, watch <laughs> this movie. I will tell you every detail. Did you know this scene's darker in the other perspective? Yada, yada, yada. But... Hey, I'm happy to provide an outlet via this podcast because if nothing else, that's what me and the listeners are here for. So I'm Absolutely. glad that you got Sweet. those. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Uh, I had a I had such a fun time revisiting this movie and talking about it with you. Um, if our listeners want more from you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube under the name Daz Reviews Ooh. or Instagram under the name Daz Reviews. Ooh. TikTok, Daz Reviews 1. <laughs> Uh, something's Daz Reviews. Oh, YouTube again is Daz Reviews 2. And then Twitter is Daz Videos, not Daz Reviews at all. I wrote that like 10 years ago and I didn't (laughs) know what my branding was yet. So Daz Reviews with maybe a number at the end on most social sites and I'll pop up probably. Awesome. We'll have all that linked in the show notes below. Uh, You have a video on Hoodwink too. So if you guys are looking for somewhere to start and you've watched this podcast, maybe go check that out or any of the other great content. Um, Thank you again for joining us. Uh, I assume there's an alternate version of this podcast with two more perspectives on how it went down. But (laughs) until that's released, we'll have to just settle for this one. uh, And we'll be back next episode with a different movie, presumably. (laughs) All right. Thank you for having me, though. It's been really nice. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on September 5th with another thrilling installment, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, 
feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Right now, we're running a patron drive, so there's some very cool exclusive bonus episodes available if we hit certain stretch goals. So if you want me to have to watch Cats 2019 or Morbius, uh, consider checking those out. Now's a great time to join the community. I also want to give a special shout out to all of the patrons who have joined us already, and in particular, uh, those who joined us last month. So special shout out to Chucklebird and Nix. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Uh, it means a lot to me and uh, I hope to catch you all in a future episode.